I'm Ava Hartling. Welcome back to the Branding Female Podcast. If you're a woman in business, you're probably well aware of the crucial role branding plays in commercial success. Often, however, the conversation around branding is dominated by male voices. Today, we're shifting the spotlight to a woman making waves in the industry. Meet Anna Angelic, brand executive who's earned her stripes transforming brands from marketing giants such as Banana Republic and who's been recognized as one of the world's most influential CMOs by Forbes. Anna's expertise is crafting brands that resonate in today's market. Today, she serves as the chief brand officer at Esprit, reviving this iconic 90s brand into a modern powerhouse. With a doctorate in sociology, Anna is not just an academic, but a thought leader. Her writing, speaking engagements, and advisory roles have made her a sought-after voice in branding. As a personal admirer of her newsletter, I can attest to her profound insights myself. This episode promises to be a masterclass in the art of brand building, plus a fascinating look at one woman's journey breaking glass ceilings in a marketing biz. This season of our podcast is brought to you by TD Bank Group Women in Enterprise. TD helps women in business achieve success and growth through its program of educational workshops, financing, and mentorship. Visit thebrandingsfemale.com slash podcast and follow the link to find out how TD can help you. Are you ready to be inspired and connected? I'm really excited to share that we have officially launched the Brand is Female Conversation Series. Come and join us for a monthly conference that's changing the game in Montreal, Vancouver, and Toronto. Engage with fellow women thought leaders, innovators, and visionaries. Get ready for insightful discussions and powerful networking opportunities presented by TD Women in Enterprise. Visit our website, go to the events section, and secure your spot today. I can't wait to meet you in person. Anna, welcome to The Brand is Female. I'm so excited to have you on the show today. Excited to be here. Thank you for having me. I typically start these conversations by making my guests go down memory lane a little bit. And I want to know, growing up as a young girl, what kind of career were you dreaming of? What kind of profession uh, were you envisioning yourself uh, you know, doing later in life? And was it at all connected to what you're actually doing today? You know, one thing leads to another, but I wish usually we kind of find connections when we look back and in retrospect it's very easy to see connections but when that was happening no so I'm going to answer from the point of view as, of me as a young girl and I had no idea <laughs> I absolutely had no idea I just knew things I was interested in and um, that I was good at and that basically combined imagination and then very rational thoughts mm. left brain right brain and so that I was very much like theater and film and reading and arts and design. I didn't like fashion back then in high school, honestly. It was not something, mm, yeah, no. I mean, I think I always was kind of, you know, it was it was always mm-hmm. recognized as something that has significance in signaling and influence influencing mood that I remember but beyond that no and then but also was very good at math and you know just very again structured thinking so I think like mix those two things together and and here you are um so yeah so somewhat connected um what did you study in school and you know what 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 was your first job if you had one during school or right after school I studied first psychology, then media studies for my master's, and then PhD in sociology. And when I did, I did sociology of innovation. So it was very connected with digital 
technologies, which is kind of also part of the media studies, which you can also say it's part of psychology, how we interact with each other, mm. how do we how are we, we influenced by our settings, our context, the design of the context, what is that behavioral economics. So there is always, again, one thread of a study. So it was always very interested how individual is influenced by their world and how they signal their belonging and status in that world. What do they aspire to? How do they communicate that? That's such a perfect foundation for the work you ended up doing. Uh, so tell me about your first job, and maybe it was a job during school, right out of school. Uh, what was what was the first thing you did in the working world? When I first, uh, during my master's, I was working at Com Committee to Protect Journalists and Human Rights Watch is an intern. That was like the beginning, beginning. And so that was kind of like, no, I wouldn't say random. It's random to my career now, mm -hmm. but it was very important then and then moved on. And the first, first job related was to work at um, an agency called AKQA. It was really famous 15 years ago mm -hmm. and they were doing great things. And I know I got that job because I was calling for six months for the, the, the chief creative officer to, to meet with me because I really wanted to, you know, to not be there. And my first job was a strategist in a creative agency. Mm. And again, that was one, one thing led to another. Who were role models at that time for you? Was there somebody you looked up to, somebody who was a source of inspiration? I don't have role models. Like when people ask me that, I am always very honest. I, I don't have role models. I don't know if that's good or bad. It just... I like I that. <laughs> why why do you think you don't or why why is it that that kind of inspiration doesn't doesn't matter doesn't account for you? Mm, it's less that it doesn't matter I just don't respond to that. I just more respond to I guess ideas and like the the vision of the world or what I want to do or mm more holistically than, oh, this person is doing exactly what I want to be doing. Obviously, you know, there's some, there are a lot of people who are doing similar things to what I'm, do, I'm doing, yeah. but I never look at that. I always look what I want to do next. And uh, so smart. what does that mean in terms of idea and mm -hmm. intangibles and what kind of world that creates rather than what world exists right now and how mm -hmm. do I fit in it? Mm, that is so interesting. I love that perspective. Um, what led you to fashion? Um, again, I think it was a combination of that psychology, media, sociology, because fashion brands, if you think about it, are the most, so to speak, culturally relevant in a sense. You know, like, yes, you mm -hmm. have maybe some beer companies or some snacks or cars that are also culturally relevant. But when you think about fashion as 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 an area of culture and that combination of creative and commercial and their role in mm -hmm. expressing ourselves us expressing ourselves and then also the role of uh, status signaling and also psychological mm -hmm. role when you know that they have and you could say carry a bag no one can see that's Chanel bag but you know you feel better about it you know so it's kind of the dynamic mm -hmm. of fashion and human psychology fashion and then 
society and how we form groups, how we assess others, how we judge others, how we don't not judge others in this like modern way, but you know, in Neanderthal way. Is mm-hmm. this someone from who is mm-hmm. a friend or from my tribe or the other tribe? Someone I'm gonna eat or someone, you know, that I'm gonna have family with or so you know, so that's how we make step judgments. Right. In, in our nature because it's it's environment it's a evolutionary characteristic characteristic we need to survive we don't have time mm-hmm. to think like you know the tiger is already on us you know so in that sense I that was what was very attractive and then what was the other that sociological mm-hmm. cultural role and as a medium close as a medium and then the other thing that was very attractive to me was organization and how how fashion brands communicate how do they because they're not necessity they're not something that we need to buy every day in order to sustain ourselves they don't belong to pyramid of needs except at the very end aspiration, mm-hmm. self-actualization. So how do you organize that sort of business? How do you create brands that are like that? That is where storytelling and brand building becomes the most important because the product is almost interchangeable, mm-hmm. not for luxury brands, for a lot of fashion mm-hmm. brands. But what you have is really brands. Mm-hmm. So why is someone really about Nike versus Puma or Adidas? Why is someone really for... Um, I don't know, Banana Republic versus J. Crew versus Todd Snyder versus someone else. What was the first brand you worked at? And was there something intentional about working with that brand specifically? I worked with brands on the agency side first, and then I moved to the brand side. So the, the brands I worked with, there was not attached to who the clients were. But then because in, yeah. I worked in luxury space, so there was a sought to be as a client, which is one section auctions and the other was LVMH portfolio at Havas, Lux Hub, but there were also Peninsula Hotels, for example, Hospitality, Crystal Cruises, which is, you know, experiences. So there were a lot of brands across the spectrum and I was lucky enough to work with a lot of those brands, some beauty brands as well, luxury fashion like Tom Ford brands. And uh, then when I moved brand side, I moved to Rebecca Minkoff and there was not intentional. Mm-hmm. The intention was to the extent that um, Ernie Minkoff, who's CEO of Rebecca Minkoff company, called me to come over and he gave me the chief brand officer job, which was very rare at that time. And thanks mm. to Ernest Genius, actually, that I started to own that role and it started to make my sense. So, you know, like make a lot of sense in my career and in what I do and what I focus on. So you see, like those things are like, you don't predict them, but they make sense in retrospect. One of the things you did at Rebecca Minkoff is uh, launched a female founders collective. Correct. Can you tell me a little bit about that and how that weaved into, uh, you know, what the brand was about? So that is Rebecca's uh, child now. So I don't want to take that away. But the idea, mm-hmm. original idea, did come from me about putting the, the the badge for female founders in the state of New York on their businesses. At that time, it was very urgent to recognize mm-hmm. and very important. But then Rebecca then built that collective so that is she has uncanny ability to connect with women and to 
mm-hmm. gel that community together. You know, with ideas, there is never one author. And talking about that sense of community, how important is community building to brand building nowadays? Because uh, we know it's not just about, you know, having an amazing brand identity and, and, and visuals and logo and expressing uh, the brand in that way. So much of how we communicate today uh, happens through individuals and we kind of are hungry for that connection with founders, which is probably also where the Women's Collective came in or the, the Female Founders Collective came in. Um, but talk to me a little bit about how you view community and its importance in, in building any brand. Well, I mean, that is a common thread that goes throughout my work as well, as well in my book, in my newsletter, is the basically that, that brands are built by their fans and that those fandoms are critical. Those early fandoms, how their grown manager recognize are critical than how the brands grow further. And that's the same thing we are doing in Esprit as the foundation of reviving an iconic brand that has not been around for a really long time. So you you do have Gen X old school fans like myself who remember Esprit, especially in the United States who grew up on Esprit, high school mm-hmm. and college. And they're those early fans. That's a just very clear example. But then you have Gen Z, who is obsessed with 90s and nostalgia and who is buying everything secondhand. So that's your potential fan group. And 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 the similar thing, you can go back and look at Banana Republic, the work we have done, who are those original brand fans and how do you really focus on them, grow through them and build a relationship with them. And that's where everything else comes in, content, influencers, curation because you have you all there's always someone who's going to be more keen than anyone else mm-hmm. and there are a lot of those who mm-hmm. are going to be more invested so let them kind of carry your brand that's why we also built Esprit as a creative platform for the creative class to support emerging artists emerging fashion mm-hmm. designers emerging musicians and so on to collaborate with them because the brands are very hard to stay as they are. They're non-monolithic things. They need to live and breathe in that dialogue with culture. So that's a long answer to the question that, yes, without fans <laughs> and without that cultural exchange with your fans, you really can't build a brand. Going back a little bit to your own trajectory from one brand to the next, you spent time at Banana Republic, another iconic American brand. Um what was your what was kind of the deciding factor or how you you know you choose to go over to work with a with a different brand and are there things in your a lot of women who listen to us um you know kind of try to figure out the best way to advance their career and find opportunities for for new you know you uh, they try to find new opportunities for career invest advancement is this something where you know it was more about kind of having the right contacts in your case. Uh, I asked the question if the first brand you worked with was an intentional decision. It sounds like Rebecca Minkoff, you know, somebody had spotted your talent and brought you in. Uh, But how did you build that career trajectory afterwards? Hard work. I mean, I certainly coming from Serbia didn't have the network that that people Mm -hmm. usually have. I 
went to college there. I did master's and PhD in New York. So it's 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 a different setting, which is not to say that network is everything. That's why I'm saying hard work, which more important thing is everyone can build a name for themselves through knowing what they want what they want to be known for, what area of expertise they want to be known for, and also being known for what what what's working really hard, being very dedicated to that goal. Like Ari Minkov, I have no idea how he heard about me. I have to ask him next time we talk. But it's it was not overnight thing, you know, it's it's a relationship building. Relationships are more are very important. So that's what, what I'm saying is you can build your own network. It doesn't matter if you don't have big network because you went to a Perryside school or you know this high school in New York or that it's it's or that college. It's it's much, 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 much easier if you if you do have that. But even if you don't, you can still build your own network, professional network once uh, once you get to the stage that you want, you you know exactly what you want to do, and then you just start going after it. But the most important thing is to to provide value, actually, to to kind of in your work provide value. There is not networking for networking purpose. It's mm-hmm. like to be useful mm-hmm. to other for to other people. Right, networking doesn't replace hard work and it, proving it's yourself. It's both of those sure. things, and. Uh, and then, I mean, it's just, again, like your reputation, your work precedes you almost. So I think that we should focus on that. It's easy to forget that in this age, in like in social media, when it's all like we all want to be front and center and, you know, celebrities of our own life, you know, but it's not about that. It's like it takes time. It, it really does take time. If you want to get somewhere and uh, have substance, it does take you're someone who's you know you seem to have built that personal brand for yourself too i mean you work for well-known brands so it makes sense that attention's being and you and you you work for brands who have made their mark in terms of you know their marketing and their brand activities uh so i think a lot of people pinpoint and and know that uh, a lot of those efforts have something to do with the cmo or the the brand chief officer in place so in this case, it was you. Um, you've also built a community through your own social media, through your newsletter. Um, is personal branding something that you feel is important, especially for you know women executives who work in uh, in creative positions or in it strategic is, positions? But at the same time, I'm seeing a lot of that being done like shortcuts. Everyone is digging out something for their past, some trauma or not. You know, like I don't want to like go in like all traumas are real. So it's not about that. I'm just Mm -hmm. saying like it's became very popular to find some, you know, like story from the past and to build around that. It doesn't work like, you know what I mean? And so it doesn't work like that in a sense because I was, I had a, before this newsletter, I had, I love marketing with love scratched uh, blog back then since 2008 something that's long time ago that's 15 years ago you know and i was writing there tirelessly not because i wanted to i need to build a personal brand i need to amass a community but because of my motivation was to share what i like i had a phd at that time you know and it was so rare to have someone who has both academic training and works in in a in a professional world and so bridging that gap it was something that I found a lot of people can benefit from, and, and they did. So in that sense, that is, but, but putting something out that provides value, the insights, the imagination, the knowledge 
that is then what attracts community. That's what keeps them coming back. So it's, you know, it's a, it's, it's a long time. And then you mix in that your own personality because there is no other way. And then that becomes mm-hmm. a brand. You don't, I didn't sit down and said, this is the brand I want to build, you know. Maybe I should have. I'm, I kind of not bad at <laughs> reviving brands. Maybe I should do my own. I mean, you yeah, you do have a knack for it. But what I enjoy from your personal platform is you do share added value content. You know, you often break down uh, branding strategies, for example, you know, marketing strategies. Um, and a lot of women executives in, in positions similar as you tend to focus more on the personal experience, whereas you're sharing very practical uh, you know, knowledge and, and advice that can be used by anyone who follows you. That is also a big difference that I don't tend to share anything personal, that it's all about sharing of knowledge, information, ways to think about things, ways to, ways to look at things, space, things to pay attention to what is happening in culture. So I, I do, that was, I mean, that was not a conscious choice, but it's, I, I like that choice. And it's a great observation. I like I forgot about that, but it's a great observation. This season of The Brand is Female is made possible with the support of TD Women in Enterprise. And they're about confidently building you. As a woman entrepreneur myself, I know I need all the support I can get. It takes sound advice plus guidance to the right connections, tools, and resources. What's great about TD Services for Women in Business is their collaborative approach. TD can facilitate and connect you to workshops, coaching, and mentorship, and engage other like-minded business leaders in an authentic way so we can share experiences and learn from each other. TD Women in Enterprise has banking specialists who are able to be proactive in the advice and guidance they give to women in business. Uh, and recently you've talked, you've highlighted a little bit of your kind of, uh, you know, planning around or vision around uh, uh, how how the Esprit brand was revived, to, you know, to use your words. Uh, you shared a little bit of your playbook, which is which is very fascinating. So tell me about the gig at Esprit and, you know, was that something that was absolutely exciting as a prospect for you when it's when it presented itself? Absolutely. I mean, like the first thing I thought was like, are they around? Like what's happened? You know, like, (laughs) but you know, like it's in, in a good way, in a good way, because you sometimes Mm -hmm. hear about brands and you're like, you know, you don't know, you don't think anything. But when you, when I heard this play, I was like, Oh my God, that's actually amazing because you know, that's one of those brands. I always say this like oxygen, it's in the air and it's positive thing, you know, it's like, Oh, and it's more like, Oh, what happened to them? Yeah, of course I'm interested to talk, you know? And then one conversation led to another and it was, it was like, you know, like I, you look, you dig deeper and you look, further and you're like oh yeah this is actually like a fun project all around fun sociological for business project brand building project and then becomes how do i turn this oxygen into gold and what if you had to sum up you know the keys to reviving a brand you know that there's such nostalgia attached to and i grew up in the 80s 90s as well so esprit was you know everything we aspired to as a as a it, it was really more, it was more than clothing it was it was a lifestyle brand um 
what was most important for you to focus on when you started the work around bringing the brand back to uh, for the for the masses for the consumers? Well, that's what like you you just uh, referenced. It was more like starting with that that outline that I put together. Um, is more starting defining the brand vision, which means where do you want to see this brand in ten years? What is the role that the brand can have in the world? What is that? That, that purpose and kind of like that vision and that purpose outlines that aesthetic territory that the brand can own and it outlines what are the key three core pillars for the brand that are going to be seen in every product, in every uh, marketing execution, that is, uh, in any, every merchandising strategy. So it's really just the brand slash company vision, if, if you will, creatively and strategically, what to say yes to, what to say no to. And very close to that is a product. What is that uh, brand, uh, product, uh, sorry, what is that product pyramid like and what are your foundational products, collection products, hero products, and you start introducing discipline there. Because a lot of brands, especially brands that have been around for a long time, and especially those that are in need for revival, they tend to have a lot of products, too many SKUs. And they get lost in producing more, 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 more as a solution to we are not selling enough. So having that discipline and paring that down and having a point of view what is that Esprit look? What is those? What are those signature products that Esprit wants to be known for? And what are those elements that are always going to be present in a cross-season, cross-product categories? That's basically discipline when we work with the merchandising team very closely with what are you guys buying? What is that product narrative that is the same as a brand narrative that we are saying. And then the third step is connecting the two brand and product vision into a strategy. So they say the same thing. So for 2024, there is a specific team for both all marketing, creative expressions and for product as well. In Q1, Q2, Q3, that narrative unfolds in four quarters, but it provides that point of view, that focus, and that need not do more, more is not more, that less is more, but it's more impactful. And then to say, we stick to our guns, this is who we are, this is what we stand for. Mm -hmm. And yes, there may be a one step back, in order to make two steps forward, but that that clarity is unbelievably important. And most brands don't have clarity about who they're for, what what do they stand for, what the products are, how the products are different than others, how they are different than others, and so on. And then I will add the important step is also to look at who your audience is and really define those audience personas and then rigorously use them in design, in merchandising, mm -hmm. in communication, in creative, in styling, and so on. Well, and congratulations on what you've built with Esprit because we've seen the brand, you know, go from having disappeared essentially to becoming culturally relevant again. And uh, of course, it was a lot of nostalgia to bank on, but, you know, there was also a lot of hard work and bringing it back to kind of the forefront of, uh, you know, cultural conversations uh, around fashion. Um, have you ever found yourself in a situation where your point of view and, you know, this clarity that you want to bring uh, to a brand is not shared by fellow executives or 
anyone else, you know, within the company that you find yourself working with? No, that has not been my experience. And I guess that alignment that is because, mm-hmm. you know, when you put forward the vision and a strategy and sort of approach and the, the styling and the aesthetics and the, cre- the creative territory, there is a rationale always behind it. It's not something I think I like or I like or what. It's never about me or my taste. It's always about what is right for that brand. And those brands, maybe it's not my taste. Banana Republic is not necessarily my taste. This is not necessarily my taste. But it's completely besides mm-hmm. the point. It doesn't matter. It's it's right for the brand, for this brand. Mm-hmm. It's the right thing for it to own. So it's very, well, it's a very emotional exercise to have that creatively defined it's also, and it requires a lot of creativity to have that vision and imagination to kind of create that, that brand world. It's also unbelievably rational and strategic exercise to provide argument. Why is that? Mm-hmm. So the rationale, why is this the right path forward and not some other one? So in that sense, there is not that misalignment because the conversations are always very rational and very supported by facts and by informed hypotheses and observations. And you've also made sure by following this process that you've been checking on alignment at every step of the way. So there shouldn't be a bad surprise, uh, you know, down down the the process it's always a collaboration i work unbelievably collaboratively and it always needs to be mm-hmm. immediate by end because again a relationship building trust is built over time and again like it's it's all part of uh, a collective it's all part of team and i always say it's my job to guard that but it's always collaborative exercise you in a sense, like giving people opportunity to own it, it's way more important than doing the best mm. of the best, you know? Okay. Like, of course, it's important. What I'm saying is you can't have the the best, what's the right thing. If people don't own it as their own, they're never going to, it's not going to last. They're not going to believe in it. And it needs to be their own. Absolutely. You've worked on brands that have, you know, multi-million dollar marketing budgets. Um, for someone who is trying to build a new brand, you know, hit the market with uh, a, a, a startup in, in, in consumer goods, for example, whether it's fashion or something else. What do you think is most important besides having the marketing dollars, you know, to be able to support uh, a, a launch strategy, for example, what what does one need to focus on when they are creating something new? I think more in, budget is unbelievably important, so no doubt about that, because you can't make a big splash mm-hmm. without it. But more important is having strategy, creative strategy, how to make an impact, doing the right things, not just having money to do things, any things, but knowing what things you need to do. That's way more important. And building that creative universe for the brand and connecting things, not in terms of recycling, but in terms of recontextualizing. So you really capitalize on that repetition that is critical in brand building and getting people's awareness and interest there. So in that, like, again, it's like, 
when you start building a creative universe, you start small and local and grassroots, and then you build upon that. Because it, when you're building, bringing a brand back, you, you, there is a lot you don't know anymore, you know, because you lost that touch. One lost that touch with culture. So it's best to start local and build, build, have content, have that fandom and that community, and then use media to amplify all of that. Also, it's important mm. at the beginning to have a very clear vision and to give your audience. You know, our audience in the first year was industry, media, PR, um, creators, retailers, wholesalers, to see amazing brand imagery. And I say amazing is really well done because that's clarity in their mind. I know what the, this brand stands for. So that is unbelievably important to put a stake in the ground and say, hey, this is our vision and represent that vision in video, in print, in out of home and so on. That, that's what traditional media are really good for. But then when we start dealing with the consumer, when we start building a relationship with consumer, it's more about that fandom and that content and that community and how then you use media to amplify that. So more grassroots tactics become important, paid social. But then if we collaborate with, say, photographers, New York photographer for a, for a cashmere shop, and, you know, she's known in the locale. We use paid social to amplify that and give it less to build a catalog around it and so on. Mm -hmm. So it's all about really having your own creative output. Then, then you can share with the world dial up mm, and down. Great insights. We know the world, you know, has been focused. There's been, you know, so, so much of brands marketing strategies now rely on social media, various channels across social media. Um, we've seen kind of shifts around how brands work with influencers. Um, I think a lot of uh, industry experts challenge, you know, the, 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 the influencer model and how to best work with influencers. What's your view on making the best use of social media in, you know, 2024? Um, and how should brands uh, approach kind of that split between more traditional uh, channels, including PR, uh, and then the world of social media? Everything is connected. So this this is the thing when you're building that creative world, you need to pay attention to how everything is going to amplify everything else. So if you have something in PR, you always ask, how do we turn this into content? How do we promote this on our own channels, then how what we put on our own channels then amplified in PR, and you you need to create that that machine that feeds itself in 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 a sense like you need to create that cultural wave that's made of a lot of smaller waves. So it, in each of the channels has its own purpose, but PR can be really good even for community activation because, you know, for me, social media is best for those fans and for that content that you want a quick test. On. That's like micro dialogue, you know, in our feeds that we're like mm -hmm. something that makes us laugh. We want to be that and we're in the business of entertaining people. It's pretty easy, the business of fun, you know. So we want to be that moment when you're kind of like, ah, you know, this is fun. You know, so that that is kind of important for us. Obviously, it's it's a big awareness driver if you put enough money behind it because everything is is paid to play. And then then you but it needs to be linked to everything else. It doesn't work in isolation. So we always look when we have say we had installation at Art Basel the other week 
and at the scope art fair which was which turned out really fun and a lot of people were coming there and they were like oh is this an installation i really want to buy we had this like neon color busts everywhere and we were like "Eh, they're not for sale but you know you can buy one amazon (laughs) and you know it was kind of dead and then you and then you were like oh how can we really capture this and then we're like okay you get the t-shirt if you know how to pronounce it's free right you know <laughs> and no one did you know so then you use that to create content that's going to live on social media and then you can use that to tease what is going to come next for a campaign so every single interaction with culture with the community with people is the opportunity to create content and to use that to amplify that content mm-hmm. later mm-hmm. yeah What's an innovation that you think is going to change the game, you know, in the world of branding uh, and and brand strategy over the the next few years? I don't think that change is incremental. You know, everyone thinks that 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 everything is revolutionary, but it doesn't really happen. you know, like people love the story. AI, AI is going to change everything. And before and after and, you know, and we're all going to die or we're all going to be rich. Or, I don't know. You know, you know, those like, it's it's for some reason we just like to stick to mm-hmm. those narratives and celebrate those narratives. And we never celebrate people who just improve by 3% something mm-hmm. or 10%, you know. So it, that's the same thing in, 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 in brand in branding, it's about incremental improvement, which is actually better because that makes that makes sure that things get implemented, really. They make a real difference. Usually when you move too fast, and I experience that in my own work and writing and ideas, when I present some ideas to people, if they're too far away from them, they, they just don't respond to them. Then I repose them the same text three years later and everyone loves it. You know, it's just like you know, understanding the time. So it's so much better to to perceive it mm. like that and to approach it like that. Not cautious, not risk-taking, but actually being in sync with the mood and understanding if something is going to time for some changes, right? That's the most important. You can't make change if the time for that change is not right, which means that your job becomes to create if you really want to move fast, you can absolutely move fast, but you need to understand that you need to have a systemic approach. You can't go alone, you know, or you can't break people's backs by going to towards one single thing. If the organization is not ready, it means your job is to make that organization ready while pushing for that thing. That is never settle. I'm not saying that. That's absolutely the opposite. Always have that audacious goals but just understanding that great things don't happen in isolation and we like we love to say oh this is the hero or this is the revolutionary mm-hmm. it's never like that it's always a, make the context right and then amazing things mm-hmm. are going to happen. well said what do you look for when you build a team and what kind of approach do you take as a leader in working with that team? Looking people who are very hands-on always, who are not precious, who are just, in a sense, they don't need a lot of hand-holding themselves and are very willing to do the work and are very willing to go beyond what their role is and are very motivated and driven and creative. For that, I guess, motivation, creativity and tactical skill set but also imagination and big picture thinking so that and then relationship as a manager is i like to give people freedom because 
everyone likes to have freedom as a human being and then just have clear expectations, clear ownership, clear accountability, and off you go. In closing, if you had to share one piece of advice, I'll, I'll ask it on, on two fronts, um, to women who are invested in, you know, advancing their career, doesn't really matter what industry they're in. What's your, what's your top advice for someone who is, you know, looking to build new opportunities as they, as they navigate their, their professional journey? The landscape change, the context changed so much from when I was starting 15 years ago or, 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 or more. So I think that like overall, we all need to trust our instincts way more than we do. So I think that is not maybe something that people want to hear, but I think that we intuitively know what's right for us. And we just sort mm -hmm. of need to gravitate towards those people and environments that really feel right and we should listen to those signals and I think too often our ambition puts us in situations that are not necessarily good for us longer term we can force it but it's never you know gonna and all the hard work always pays off so I would just say that we need to own what we do know what we want and just build our own communities and then just then trust that that those communities are going to be working on our behalf as much as we are working on their behalf. There is no one way anymore, you know, like the, the environment changed so much that like before it was so much easier to say, oh, go to these three conferences or become members of those three boards or, you know, join these groups and that's how you're going to, you know, and that's how it usually works. But it became too complex, too ambiguous, too yeah. interconnected. You, there is no one way to get where you want to get. And I think maybe that's the most important thing to remember. There is not one path to get to. There's not that one job that you have to have. No, no, no. Mm -hmm. You know, like just have that big picture in mind and relax. Yeah. <laughs> That's great advice. And then listening to that inner guide, right? We, as you just said, we tend to feel what's right for us and what's a good opportunity for us. Yeah, because we don't often, we just usually do what we think that we are supposed to. Yeah. Do. And we follow other people's advice a lot. And we have role models and we're like, oh, we need to do exactly what, and you know yeah. what I mean? That's why I'm like, oh, we have role models. <laughs> I love that. I'm going to rephrase that question after this interview. <laughs> no, you don't. And, a lot of people do have role models and yeah. they're admirable. So it, whatever works for. Yeah. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. But no, it's, it's, as you're saying, it's not a fail proof template that we have to abide Correct. by. Correct. And it's always like you should, they should like, you know, it all never, that's a, that's a conversation for the next time, but I think it's more, <laughs> we should trust ourselves more overall. Yeah. And if you had to share advice to someone who is building a brand, reviving a brand, um, we have a lot of entrepreneurs who listen to us who, you know, are, are uh, building marketing strategies. They may not come from a marketing background. What's your advice for them? Read my newsletter. <laughs> Obviously. Read my book. No. Uh, well, the thing is that there is, we don't have all the knowledge we need to have, but what is more important to having that knowledge is knowing how to think, knowing how to approach things we don't know. So in that sense, I am always a big pro proponent of very strategic, structured, organized thinking that is going to say, hey, define 
what what this brand who is it for what does it stand for what is important for us what is not important to us aesthetically how do we like to look like where do we see each other uh, where we do, do we see us in 10 years what is the role in the world what do we bring in the world it can be something else that others bring to the world but how do we bring it differently maybe or how do we even just communicate it differently those are important things and then how do we express what are those three core pillars how do we express who we are to three core things that are repeated over and over and over again in every one of our brand expressions? That's an unbelievably important exercise to do at the beginning, to get that clarity. Because usually entrepreneurs, they put brand at the end. They always think, let's figure out the product, let's figure out the service, let's figure out the funding, let's figure out the media buy. Yeah. And then they think about the brand. Instead, they need to start with the brand because brand is going to help them make all those other decisions it's going to introduce that filter and the discipline to make those other decisions and even in having a lot of conversations about raising funds and you know pitching vc investors what they look for is the brand story it's all about storytelling and if that's not clarified from the start that's where the the company is gonna it's gonna have hiccups Absolutely. And it doesn't mean that you have this specific font or this color palette. It's not about that. You need to recognize that imagination and that idea and that how that world comes to life, that entire aesthetic that you bring to how, how is your brand going to look and how is it going to someone going to make someone stop and make something different, you know? But that's more, that's more important to understand that you understand and you feel what your story is. Yeah. Yeah, like exactly. it's really having an amazing story at the end of the day, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's people that's love what a great stories. Brand is. People love stories. Yeah. People remember stories. So if you go in yeah. front of your phone, like VC, and you want and you tell them unbelievable story, they fell, fall in love with that story. That's that's it. Well, Anna, this was uh, absolutely wonderful. I appreciate you sharing all these insights uh, into your journey and your approach to brand building congrats again for this wonderful career you've had very excited to see what you do next and i uh, thank you so much for your time in sharing all of this with us today thank you very much for having me and i really enjoyed your questions they're very thoughtful and you're very observant so wonderful conversation thank you <laughs> thank you so much Thank you so much for listening to the Brand is Female podcast. Please don't forget to subscribe and leave us a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. Thank you to TD Women and Enterprise for their support of the Brand is Female. You've got it in you to succeed. Let TD help guide you. Visit thebrandisfemale.com to learn more.